One of the things that is so beautiful about the Dharma is that we're able to work with all of these layers of perceptions and ideas and views and conditioning physically and mentally. And, and we use the Dharma to get underneath all of that to be able to see clearly the reality of how things are in a moment-to-moment basis, in a relative basis. And I love that because here we have one of the most sensitive subjects that this country has been dealing with for quite some time. And it's this, and the amount of divisiveness that is here and the difficulty of even meeting it. So some of you might be thinking, what a, is this appropriate to even bring out up in a meditation session? Meditation is useful in helping us navigate the world and the life that we live in. And so much of our practice asks us to, to pay attention to suffering, <laughs> to turn toward it and the difficulty. And what, a, what an opportunity to come together and see how do we look at this in this container because it can feel sometimes very safe. And f- we can feel like we're all like sharing the same perspective because we're all doing the same activity and we all like, care deeply about not causing harm to ourselves and others and doing what's right. But if we don't reveal that even amongst loving friends, family, and community, that there is difficulty in this and acknowledge it, I think that can cause a lot of harm and a lot of suffering. So I'm going to suggest using the Dharma as a way to try to get underneath reactivity and fixed views to what is what what does the dharma say about this subject in our practice one of the core set of teachings and techniques is called the eightfold path and the eightfold path is divided up into three categories wisdom sila or ethical conduct and was traditionally called concentration, but this means cultivation. This topic, and I would say the way that we're all sharing our relationship and responding and reacting around it, dominantly fall into the category of sila, ethical conduct. Ethical conduct in this tradition, I don't know if anyone has this chart, has ultimately has to do with how our words, how our actions, and how our lifestyle, the choices that we make, what we buy and what we sell, and how we consume and how we interact in the world. We want to see if they cause harm. And if they cause harm, we want to stop that, (laughs) prevent that, transform that, and we want to be sure that they cause benefit. This (laughs) is sila this ethical conduct is not dependent on view. This idea of right and wrong can actually cause a lot more suffering, that we can get trapped in these kind of fixed ideas of what's right and what's wrong. And at the same time, in this tradition, sila is put in front as the most important precursor. It's even before meditation and mindfulness practice to be able to live in a way that is ethical. So that's confusing already in in itself. 
<clears throat> now I want to be really careful because I am not making a stance. I am just saying what <laughs> the Dharma would say about this. In ethical conduct, in sila, one of the precepts is to not destroy life. One of the precepts is to not cause harm. One of the precepts <laughs> is to have speech that is non-divisive. Oh, it's getting more complicated. One of the precepts is to set up the world stage. Now, traditionally, it's livelihood, but this has broadened, I feel, in, in modernity to, to the way that we co-create the functional world that we live in. A lot of it is consumer-driven, but it's also how I would say it's our political systems it's the way that we buy and sell, the way that we interact, what we consume, what we share. One of the categories of sila is to live in ways that doesn't cause harm. So is understood by the first category of wisdom. View in the wholesome sense and right intention. View recognizes that there is no absolute right and wrong. There is no absolute correct view. <laughs> In fact, sometimes right view is translated as not clinging to any view whatsoever. View does understand that all things arise in an interconnected web of causes and conditions. Right view does recognize that in the midst of this interconnected web of causes and conditions, Every individual has a part, and that's called karmic actions. View understands what causes suffering, what frees us from suffering, what causes wellness, and how to act in ways that, that cause wellness. Right view understands that clinging to any fixed view, any set of emotions, any set of ideas in a limited way causes suffering. Right view is complemented by right intention, and here's the bridge in between sila and understanding. Intention is that we always have this disposition of care, called loving-kindness or friendliness or this desire for well-being. Right intention understands that when there's a disruption in the way that we act and what we see in the world, that there's a call to action, a response, compassion. It's that medicine, the doctor in us, <laughs> that wants to apply the antidote, the medicine, to fix ill-being. Right view is also the ability to let go, to not, or right intention, to be able to let go, not of the circumstance, not of reality, but trapping ourselves in the way that we are reacting around it, viewing around it. So this is one of those topics that, that it's so easy to say, to say, this is right and that is wrong. And because you think that this is right and I think that it's wrong, then you're wrong. This is so nuanced. And it really speaks to that fact that 
everything is interconnected. This is where, so I'm not speaking to any political party or I'm not speaking to any candidate or anything like that, but just in general, our politics, this is where we're just doofuses. We're just silly as a society because we limit ourselves to, we want to uh, fix things and address things in such an acute, concrete way. Anyone notice that? There's, whether it's the media, like bringing that things down to talking points and then using these talking points to, to manipulate and to gather people around certain things. But usually these talking points and these like limited things to address stuff, they are that, they're limited. They don't allow us to see the full perspective. And then we get all div divided and all worked up. And it prevents us from actually seeing it. It kind of reinforces that tendency that we have as humans to, to see things in such a limited, immediate, reactive way. We tend to create that in society through politics, through media, through all of that stuff. And it prevents us from seeing the interconnected, interdependent nature of things. What's the right thing? please tell me the right thing. It doesn't exist. It's all relative. How do we respond to stuff like this? There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of noise in the media. There's a lot of noise in our own head, a lot of noise in our own heart. And we can get so swept up into that that we can't hear or see the truth of things. Someone has an opinion, we have to weigh ourselves on that opinion. We have an emotion, we have to weigh ourselves in, in life on that. And we get caught up in that and it causes restlessness. It causes lack of focus. It causes us not to see clearly. It actually causes us to, to forget right intention <laughs> and to forget right view. And how can we act? How can we act with skill in that respect? <clears throat> We've gotten to this point in, in, in life and I think in this modernity with politics and all of that, that we've really limited our capacity to look at whole pictures because it's so hard. <laughs> it's so complicated. How do we do that action that we can see immediate results in changing like the whole thing in the world and all these views? There's a virtue in this practice, a parami, and it's called patience. And patience both prevents us from being reactive, but it also is opening up a gateway, a door, a window to be able to see a bigger picture. It's said that p the quality of patience, tolerance, and patience suggests that you have this kind of moral compass <laughs> and this direction that you're going in, that you're being patient about and just waiting to, to respond, to gather more information. Patience opens up to the fact that things are so vast and complicated. Patience opens us up to be able to recognize that there are all of these different variables. So we can start to say, from the Buddhist perspective, we can start to say, yes, killing is wrong. It's wrong in general. But we breathe. 
there's killing involved in breathing. Just ask the little creature that, that just came in. There's killing involved in walking. There's killing involved in all that we do. Again, in that form of right speech that we all interact together and through linguistics and through the media and all of that stuff. And our speech can be just as harming. Because what if one word or one idea, one position, we say this is how things are, and that position doesn't look at the holistic picture, and we share, and we articulate, and we reinforce, but that might start to create a whole framework that d disenfranchises population, <laughs> that that move society in a particular direction, that environmentally, whatever, that we all start to rally around this one position through the words that we're sharing and all of that stuff we're getting. And we might see that this destroys forests, peoples, repress certain populations, all of that, all from words and the actions and the lifestyles and the things that they reinforce, there's profound repercussions to every single thing that we do. And the Dharma says there is a world, there is a truth beyond right and wrong. And if we cling to any view in a fixed way that prevents us from seeing things holistically, we can be causing a lot of harm that we don't even realize the harm that we're causing. And we can't see because we're not able to see the, the interconnected web of causes and conditions and how our actions can help bring benefit. We can't understand it and we can't respond fully if we're stuck in a limited way of acting and seeing and doing. The Dharma says, what causes pain? <laughs> what causes harm? is embedded in the whole structure of life and how we're related to it and what causes benefit is too and it's so easy i remember a group of people that that were becoming very activist in environmental stuff beautiful beautiful intentions but some of these folks were starting to get very militant and there was this point where some people were going to do something to some hunters or something like that up in the mountains or I don't remember. And it was not very Dharma <laughs> frame of mind, but they were about their view that it just started to turn into hatred and inability to see things more fully. The Dharma would say how we respond to what we notice is causes harm or not causes harm, is first we have to look at our own mind, our own heart. We have to learn how to skillfully de determine, am I responding, is there greed, is there hatred, and is there delusion? If there is greed, clinging, Greed could be clinging to our view, clinging to like our, the circumstances. There's delusion. If there's hatred in our hearts and our minds, there's delusion. I'll tell you what, that's the root cause of causing harm. When we hear something, when we see something in our society, we always want to check and see if there is greed, 
hate and delusion in us and to be humble enough to be able to bear witness to that. Usually we start to see these things through agitated, active, conflictive emotion and all of this. We start to see that alive in us, active in us, is usually how we can determine the greed, hate, and delusion that's in us. And we can start to look at all the noise that's in our own head. And we can ask ourselves, is this noise enabling me to see that all things are interconnected, that all things are impermanent, that my actions and the world's actions have an impact, right? What is suffering? What is not suffering? To be able to look at that, is my intention compassionate, opposite of hatred? Is it generous, opposite of clinging? Is there clarity here? It takes time to be able to understand things. It takes curiosity. It takes intelligence. It takes compassion in order to look at the life and the conditions that we're living in to be able to to gain a broader understanding. We can't expect to cure the ills of the world (laughs) through reactivity, through greed, hate, and delusion. We can't expect to see the conditions and to understand what is the nature of suffering, what is the nature of wellness, if we're caught in reactivity. So here's the catch with the Eightfold Path as it relates to this. Wisdom is to be able to see clearly, to understand our views, and to see the interconnectedness and all that stuff. Intention, intention, action. They're so hard to, to rely on <laughs> without the cultivation of our mind and our heart. And that's that last category. And what is that? Mindfulness, concentration, and right effort. It's hard to live an ethical life if we don't have the ability to see our own heart and mind. It's hard to cultivate wisdom if we don't have the strength and the integrity of heart and mind. I would argue, and I would say, that one of the most helpful ways to respond to the world conditions is to see and to understand and train your own heart and mind. If we are caught in reactivity instead of calm, if we are caught in fixing to views instead of mindful awareness, if our energy is all dispersed in these things, what direction do we have? The root is not there. If we invite calm and if we invite mindfulness and if we apply our effort consistently into what is knowing that we want to feed our wisdom, we want to feed our ethical conduct, we need to know the heart and mind that is acting, that is there. When there's calm, When there's right energy, when there's concentration and stability and mindfulness, there becomes insight. Insight is where the answers are. Insights feed ethical conduct. Insights inform our wisdom. Insights inform our intention to act. 
if we're walking around and we're feeling all reactive in our own heart and mind and we don't have the sense of like composure mindfulness and right effort our ability to help is going to be extremely limited things take a while <laughs> and here we are in this interconnected world We've always had greed, hate, and delusion in the world. And I would say that right now, relatively speaking, we're more enlightened than we've ever been. But we're also, the ignorance is blaring. And some would argue that since we've always been, there's always been greed, hate, and delusion in the world, how is it different now? It's different now because we're so interconnected. Everything we buy, everything we consume, every word that we share on Instagram, or what is it, TikTok? they have such a big impact. And if we're engaged in all of those ways in a reactive way, then this clouds things up. So this desire to, to cultivate your own heart and mind and to know your own heart and mind is paramount. Now, how do we respond? Because it's gonna be a little while be before we're fully enlightened. So we wanna still act <laughs> like in a way that is wholesome. We still want to act in a way that brings benefit into the world. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Educate yourself. We have this tendency to believe what is fed to us. We hear these talking points, we hear these packaged things, and we take them for the truth. They're all relative. There's something deeper behind every word and every packaged thing. <laughs> Educate yourself. Not consuming the media saying, this is what I should be thinking. This is what my favorite person said. Educate yourself. We have more information right now <laughs> than we have ever had, ever. It's awesome. we have this ability to understand the dependent origination causes and conditions more than we ever had. We have actual data to, to show it, <laughs> right? We have, we understand the way that nature works, that, that, that people work. We need to educate ourselves. Because if, if we don't educate ourselves, it's so easy to think something and then to try to act and feel so committed to it without fully educating ourselves. And then we want to recognize that in that educating, we're looking at, from the Dharma perspective, how all things interrelate. So if we start to study one particular subject, we might say, okay, let's take, let's take this one. If we protect life, what does that mean? Who... Whose lives are we protecting? How do we continue to protect these lives? If What are the systems in place to be able to, to allow that to happen? What if the systems aren't <coughs> in place? Just all of these things that are pretty complicated and they're hard to address when we're all f freaking out, when we're stuck in these like fixed views and all of that stuff. It's so easy to get thrown by the small. So when we educate ourselves and start to understand what are the systems that are involved, that's really important. Now let's say we don't want to. Let's say we don't even want to do that. Maybe we're not called to do that. 
we still educate ourselves in recognizing whether or not there's greed, hate, and delusion <laughs> in us or ignorance. We still are interacting with friend systems, our community systems, family systems, all of that stuff. This practice still invites us to really look at things as systemsly <laughs> as we can. It's part of our practice. We can't practice sila without understanding what causes harm and what causes benefit. So even if we don't want to do these great big actions or are called to one particular thing, this practice actually asks us to make our whole life that kind of practice. We're all interdependent. We are all part of this infinite web of causing conditions. When we look at it, we want to see what's healthy and what's unhealthy. Is the whole healthy or unhealthy? So we can look at the state of humanity. Is the whole healthy? And then if we can step back and look at that whole, then we can start to understand the parts. It's like looking at the human body. Is the body healthy? Oh, if it's not, what's wrong with it? the heart, the brain, all of this stuff, then we can start to go in and look at stuff. Know that every single action that you make makes a difference in the causes and conditions of things. This is actually awesome <laughs> because even if we interact with this moment with less greed, hate, and delusion, it impacts the whole. If we don't speak like this hateful word or like the divisive words to this particular person at this particular time, that could prevent a school shooting. These little actions <laughs> impact the whole. I can say with a lot of confidence that we should try our best to be open to the relative to be open to the causing conditions of things, to try our best not to get so reactive and fixed on one particular set of emotions, circumstances, because it prevents us from seeing the whole picture. And in that greed and that hate and that delusion are just, if we really want to not cause harm, we want to try to reduce those as much as we can in our own hearts and minds because there's the killer. There's the killer. Greed, hate, and delusion. We're all killers. But we're also all <laughs> healers at the same time. I'm going to ring the bell three times. May we all awaken the best in ourselves. And when we awaken to the best in ourselves, we awaken the best in the world. May we all appreciate our learning and our practice, our cultivation. Can we see it as the medicine that it is, the antidote that it is, the cure that it is? In every moment.
our practice, may our self-understanding, may our understanding of the world, may our work cultivating the best in us, the health in us, benefit all those we come into contact. And you know who we're in contact with? The whole world. And when we're confused, when we're caught up, can we have the wisdom and the compassion to turn toward people who might be able to help calm us down, help inspire compassion and understanding and well-being in us? <laughs>